Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Hamza Khan, welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Good to see you, sir. Matt, thank you for having me. It's an absolute honor. You know, I don't usually do bios, but I love your bio, so I'm going to read some stuff about your bio. It's short oh, and concise. Let's uh, go. Hamza, <laughs> Hamza Khan is an award-winning marketer, best-selling author of The Burnout Gamble, a global keynote speaker. Your TED Talk, Stop Managing, Start Leading, has been viewed over a million times. Uh, I like this part. He empowers youth and early talent through his work as a managing director of Student Life Network, Canada's largest and most comprehensive education resource platform. And then your latest book out is Leadership Reinvented, How to Foster Empathy, Servitude, Diversity, and Innovation Innovation in the Workplace. And I'd almost, we're going to talk about that today in the workplace, but I would think even just uh, scratching through workplace and putting in the world, right? Yes, sir. Yep. So, I, so uh... how to, because all those things, it seems like are hot topics right now, obviously. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so, so yes, what's on your mind today? What are, what's, uh, there's a lot of rich content there. Yeah, there, there, there's so many different uh, threads we could pull at. And, and I love what you said about this is the future of the world. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Mm-hmm. I've been branded as a future of work expert. And, and truthfully, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I'm, happy to, I'm happy to roll with it. As, as, a, right. as, a, as an ex-marketing and communications professional, I get it. It sounds sexy. It helps <laughs> to start conversations. But when I stand up on stage and I speak about the future of work, mm-hmm. I'm perplexed. I'm just as perplexed as anybody in the audience. You know, It's an ambiguous and nebulous term. Mm-hmm. They say that the future of work deals with three questions, right? Who does the work? And when I say they, just uh, there's no one really leading the conversation. We're all part of it. Like you and I right. are now in in the process of shaping what the future of conversation, future of work conversation looks like. But typically, it concerns three questions: Who does the work? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we talk a lot about diversity, intergenerational communication, and understanding. And I suppose, in addition to the four generations now working. In any typical workplace, you're also introducing the conversation of robots existing as a sort of fifth generation, (laughs) artificial intelligence. And who knows, you know, with the James Webb telescope out there broadcasting some high-res images, we could very well have, you know, another species joining the future of work. A true alien workforce, right? An actual alien workforce. Not not people coming over the border. We're actually talking about other planets. And then, and then the second, I was just laughing because thinking t- technically, I suppose, you know, fauna are part of the workforce as well. You made a joke about <laughs> feed, right. feed, feeding, feeding some cattle in your backyard. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. We'll save the punchline for, for the Patreon show. Yeah, but... <laughs> there we go. There we go. And then in terms of when and where the work is done, that's the second question. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID made it abundantly clear, especially for, for knowledge workers, that work can be done anywhere in the world or even in space for that matter. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at all times of the day. And then we go into the third question, which is how is the work done? And then this comes full circle with the earlier uh, allusion to to AI and robots. We're finding more ways to to integrate artificial intelligence, automation, robotics, machine learning, extended Mm -hmm. reality, all of this conversation about the metaverse changing the future Mm -hmm. of work. Mm -hmm. And I suppose there's a fourth question, a tangential question, which is why is the work done? And I know that's a question being asked by a lot of people who are part of the great resignation and younger generations Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Anyways, 
Very technical questions, no easy answers, but I know just as well as you do and the listeners that when we talk about the future of work, we're really talking about the future of life, given mm. how closely mm -hmm. related yep. you know, we are with uh, the work that we do and how much time we spend doing work and how mm -hmm. that shapes our reality. So that's the headspace that I'm in these days. Mm -hmm. And when you say you're in that headspace, I guess what, you know, typically what are you thinking about? What are you working on? Because this is your space, right? And for many of us, it is our space, but this is your career. This is your profession. This is what you study. You know, for, you know, for a lot of us, I think we're trying to navigate, uh, I've, you know, as I have guests on the shows, I talk to friends of mine, it's kind of like, what's important in life? To your point, it's like, what's important in my life, my family, uh, close friends, and then, and then this sense of purpose. And I think, you know, now more than ever, I think part of the great resignation is that people don't feel connected to a sense of purpose. And, and they're like, so I'm, I'm, I've got to pay my bills until we get the new thing where I get money every month just for being alive and breathing. Um, I have to pay my bills. So therefore I'm going to do this thing, but then I'm going to look for other jobs or think about other things or my hobby or what I'm going to do this. I mean, I'm planning vacation, whatever I'm doing. Right. And so, you know, what are, I guess, what are you seeing in conversations with corporations, with people, I guess, what are other people talking about? This is just my own little bubble, my own circle, the podcast and my friends and family. You got it. And we both arrived at similar conclusions. There was an earlier episode that you recorded, which I really enjoyed with Halakuri talking uh -huh. about uh, community care. And uh -huh. you shared an anecdote where you were placed on a table at a work conference with somebody on the opposite end of the political spectrum. Right. And yes. it caused a little bit of anxiety at first, but you quickly uh -huh. centered on some topics that are universal. You talked about right. family, you talked about community. Right. And I think the conclusion that everybody reaches in their hero's journey, that it has to be less about the me, more about the we. There's ego death, there's a suspension of maximizing utility for oneself and a focus on creating utility for everyone around you. And I think it starts with family, it starts with your community, then it extends into the workplace. And, you know, if, if you're lucky, you get to impact the world in the way that you and I are doing right now through mm -hmm. this conversation, hopefully, mm -hmm. and, you know, the work that we do outside of this. So I consider myself to be very fortunate that I have an opportunity week after week, day after day to immerse myself into how corporations, government, and nonprofit organizations are thinking about employee well-being, leadership, um, and the future of work. And it's exciting for me because, you know, I, I have a graduate advisor who, who said that research is really me-search. <laughs> and I think about that all the time because the question that I've been trying to answer for just over a decade is why did I burn out? Why did mm. all those years ago in 2014, Mr. Productivity, Mr. Mm. Four-Hour Workweek, Mr. Getting Things Done, how did that happen to me? And how mm. did that happen in a work environment that had um, all of the wellness and, and you know, health and wellness benefit available to me? Mm. And um, it's interesting because when I, I went through that, that experience of burnout, I, I tried to solve it through optimizing productivity and well-being. Mm -hmm. And I reached a dead end. Mm. No matter how many massages I got, no matter how many times I talked to a counselor, no matter how much I did yoga and journaled, I was still burned out. Like there, so, mm -hmm. something was broken over here. So that naturally led to the inquiry of, okay, so what are the structures around us? And, and I talked about this in my first book, The Burnout Gamble, and I, it was a fairly low, low resolution uh, description of these factors, global forces of competition, alienation, society, technology, loneliness, and the economy, things mostly outside of our control. But internalized, they become uh, performance pressure. They, they contribute to mm -hmm. performance pressure. Any given day, 
you and I uh, and, and our listeners, they don't feel perfect enough, efficient enough, progressive enough, satisfied enough, or innovative enough. Mm-hmm. And they give in to patterns of overwork that inevitably extinguish the fire of productivity. So I became very curious about what are those factors that contribute to people feeling that way in the workplace, in society? Why do people feel like they have to work as hard as they do? And why do some people have to work harder than others? And I kept on coming time and again through this inquiry. An architecture of like leadership, but not the type of leadership that we think. Like, I think it's, it's easy to romanticize or fantasize about who the bad leaders are. You know, you can point to them. It's Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. It's Adam Newman of WeWork. It's Travis Kalanick <laughs> of Uber. But truthfully, man, like I've been a bad boss. I, I have behaved mm. in ways that are unbecoming of a leader, in my opinion. And it happens in small ways. Uh, mm-hmm. people, people give in to the fear-spurned, counterproductive workplace behaviors at the level of leadership that affect the, the well-being of employees and, and, and organizations as a whole. Mm. And so in your case, let's just walk through that for the people that aren't sure. familiar with you and your work. So it's 2014. What are you doing and what are you noticing or witnessing or becoming aware of in yourself? Because I think Sounds that good. helps other re- people relate to. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people. I mean, we call it the great, or it's <laughs> not we, it's called the great resignation, right? So there's a lot of people right. experiencing what you did in 2014. You were just early, right? You were a first adopter yeah. of the great resignation. There's sure, a lot sure, of other man. people. Now. So, so, so let's get into the weeds on that. What was actually going on and what was the, obviously you wrote a book about it. So what yeah. was going on and then what was the catalyst or, or, or how did you transform that or transmute that into something else? I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you asked that question because I realized my previous answer, I just went off the deep end. I just uh, yeah. let you into the edges of my thoughts. And I was just like all of these unfinished ideas that I'm actively exploring that probably, hopefully sounded coherent, but in, yes. my, in my mind, they made sense. Okay. So I'm glad you asked that question. And by the way, Matt, I noticed that uh, my microphone changed. Was that yep. something that you forced on your end? Nope, it wasn't. It just did it, but it actually is better. So let's not, it's okay. actually better. I'm not getting any, we were cutting out just a little bit before, but we're all good now. So even, right. even, even though it popped off, it's in a good way. We're all good. I can hear Perfect. you crystal clear. Amazing. Now I, I can sit back and relax and, and there you go. forward over here. Well, there so you what go. happened in 2014? I, I suppose it, it really didn't start with me, but I don't want to go too far back, uh, you know, thinking about why why I, as Hamza Khan, felt pressure to overwork. And I think a lot of it was because of the way I was uh, brought up by my parents. My parents are immigrants, uh, hardworking, blue-collar pair of people who, um, you know, I I guess I suppose I watched the court side, from from the court side, the very typical immigrant hustle, if you will. Uh, They came to the country, uh, the United States of America, with very little money and big dreams and, and a very rugged work ethic. You know, I'd watch my mom and dad wake up super early and then uh, they would work nine, 12, 16 hour work days. And then they would come home and they'd be exhausted. They'd take care of myself and my sister and then they would repeat this. And so the equation that formed for me very early was hard work equals success because I got to watch them ascend the socioeconomic ladder mm. as a child and teenager and later adult. I got to see this clear exchange where the time that you put in the sweat equity, the blood, sweat, and tears leads to success. Mm-hmm. And I applied that same work ethic throughout my career uh, as a student, uh, student leader, young employee, young leader. And it really started to pay off in 2014 when I was working at a large educational institution in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to see 
the fruits of my labor for the first time in a long time. I mean, uh, this is this 10,000 hour grind was starting to right. pay off. Right. And I was getting more responsibility of winning awards. I was being uh, given accolades. I was, uh, you know, being regarded as as somebody uh, notable in my industry, uh, traveling the country, the world, speaking at conferences, a lot of media publicity. So there was like clear market rewards uh-huh. and signals in 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 the work environment that what I was doing was 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 effective. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't realize that at that point, you're supposed to transition from working hard into working smart. And I just kept on working hard. <laughs> right. Because that's all I knew. Right. And uh, it reached a, a point of counterproductivity. And I think this is illustrated by a productivity law. I think it's called Frazee's Law, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Frazee's or Illich's Law. It, it, regardless, it states that after a while, productivity diminishes and even reaches negative values. That's what happened mm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were physical, physical symptoms, there were emotional symptoms, there were mental symptoms that something was going wrong, but I just couldn't keep up with the expectations. Mm-hmm. And there's that saying that the hardest worker gets the biggest shovel. So the harder I was working, the more I was applying myself, the more I was getting to do. I think the, right. the reward for, for doing good work is more opportunity to do more work. <laughs> right. And I, just, I just, I just took it on then Matt, and, I, right. and right. Uh, eventually it, uh, it resulted in, in me flaming out in, mm. December of 2014 on the eve of a huge trip around the world. I talk about this in one of my TEDx talks called uh-huh. burnout gamble. And I wrote about this. And so if people want to mm-hmm. get like the abridged story, you can check that out. Um, I burned out and it was so confusing to me because mm-hmm. I thought at that point I was physically healthy. Mm-hmm. I was doing all the things I was waking up early. I mean, just the, I, I, I was following the productivity, the, the toxic hustle playbook to a T Right. 5 a.m. club, working out, you know, diet was immaculate. And nevertheless, it happened to me. Like I burned out and I, I suffered a panic attack mm. that um, took me years to recover from. Mm. Do you think you were having a heart attack or something? Or was so it just... two, of the do- two of the doctors who I spoke to said that I suffered a silent heart attack based on the symptoms that I described, huh. which was flabbergasting because I thought, again, up until that point, I was physically healthy, but mm-hmm. that couldn't have been further from the truth. They all, all, all the specialists that, that I talked to in the aftermath of this said that I'm lucky to have escaped with no major illness or injury. Mm. Some even were flat out saying that at the rate that you were working, as much caffeine as, as I was consuming, as little mm. sleep as I was getting, I'm lucky that I walked away with my life intact. And, and that to me was hard to hear. And they all said that regardless, I can no longer work at the levels of intensity that I did or else next time I would have to pay the price. Mm. And so that was very disorienting for me because Matt, like yourself and all the listeners, so much of my identity is tied up in the work that I do mm-hmm. in the projects that I'm a part of. And so here I was listening to doctors telling me that that was no longer true for me. So I had to rediscover what my identity was divorced from the level of intensity that I was being rewarded for in the marketplace. Interesting. And so what was that transition like? So here you are high, high firing, <laughs> high functioning, mm-hmm. I'm assuming go, go, go. Yeah, it sounds like you had a pretty good caffeine intake. uh, Yeah, man. For a drug, so you (laughs) were human caffeine filter, man. (laughs) Right, so you were pumping it out, and the docs say, "Okay, no, no more, um, or or this is going to kill you." So at 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 that point, what did you actually do then? Because this is, I'm assuming, most of your income's coming from speaking, the book. Publicity around the book, teams. I mean, there's there's and the book the book actually happened like. after the recovery. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, and, and that's interesting. So the book was very much informed by the recovery. So right. I'm, I'm stewing in this, this negative cocktail of emotions. It's, it's a resentment, it's self-loathing, it's disappointment, mm-hmm. it's anger, it's uh, vindictiveness. It's, it's, it's me 
unable to come to terms with with this mm-hmm. break in my life. I felt cheated. I felt like, frankly, I love capitalism, but capitalism mm-hmm. didn't love me back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting to see sort of my professional circles start to change in the aftermath of this. When I could no longer be valuable in the mm-hmm. workplace, people mm-hmm. who I thought were friends, you know, that that, that those relationships started to sever. Uh, right. People started going bad on me. I started to go bad on people. I mean, it was it right. was it was a lot for me to take, and uh, it sent me into a spiral of depression. Um, and I didn't realize how depressed I was until I actually emerged from that cloud. And I was like, "Whoa! I was underwater <laughs> for so long, man. What right. the hell?" But you know, put on weight. Uh, um, it was just bad. It was bad. So. I lost my train of thought there, Matt. I'm so sorry. So that's no, 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 it's no. Really that's difficult fine. for me to talk about this. Yeah, well, I mean, but, that, but I appreciate. Well, and I appreciate that because I mean, I appreciate that you are talking about it because, you know, I think a lot of people are experiencing this right now. A lot of people are having, you know, that's, you know, the the work burnout without the quitting, right? So they've, right. they've, they've done the grind. They've lived through this weird thing, you know, in our, in the world. Now there, there's all these messed up, not messed up. It's just for, for me, it was like all my, you know, true North was no longer North and all my bearings got yeah. blown out. And all of a sudden, everything that I'd done to make me successful was no longer making me successful. In right. fact, it was actually digging a hole deeper financially for me. If mm-hmm. I kept by, you know, I was kept doing the same thing and it was like getting worse and worse and worse. And so, you know, there's this certain amount of what the hell do I do now? So in your case, right. you went in, I, I have also gone into and still am slightly in a depressed state um, mm. and work and wow, working, I appreciate you and, that. Yeah, and working my way, you know, back to like when you you said that, you know, when you finally brought your head up, uh, you know, and you were able to see how depressed you were. And I'm like, someday that's going to be me. I mean, literally, it fired yeah, in my yeah, head yeah. next was like, it's like, someday that's going to be me. Someday I'm going to be back wow. to feeling good about being Matt again and feel successful again. Right now, I just don't feel wow, very successful. And so I think there's a lot of, I, I think that I am not the only, I know I'm not the only one feeling this sense of not bewilderment, but almost like, apathy but it's it's just kind of this gotcha. state of okay what the hell do i do now right so i i yeah, know i have yeah, yeah. gifts i know i have gifts and talents but i'm devaluing my gifts and talents because they're not getting me what i want you know maybe i'm still working you know i'm still working but you know maybe you know people are at a, a workplace so you went through this this mm-hmm. depression period which lasted mm-hmm about probably three years three okay three, yeah oh years. good good i'm coming up on three years good my anniversary oh, yeah. yeah this is perfect <laughs> this is perfect timing thank you for coming on this morning um so so you, you you so what kind of brought you out of that say because again whether people are experiencing depression or not they're experiencing some <clears throat> form of i don't give a shit right yeah. whether it's at work in their personal life i mean you know we know People gain tons of weight during this period of time. People have stopped doing things that are healthy. Self-care, there's a reason self-care is like ringing, 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 right? So what what kind of for you was not the wake-up call, but kind of the steps out of this space? That way I can write them down and I'll use them myself. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, oh, f- fantastic. Thank, thank you. And and first of all, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, that's, right. that, 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 that's uh very brave of you to do so with, with your listeners. I haven't listened to many episodes, mm-hmm. admittedly, as much as I would have liked of the Bright Vibe oh. podcast. But if this is the, right. one of the first times that you've disclosed it, this, mm-hmm. this is the first time somebody's hearing this, mm-hmm. um, I can only imagine how impactful that must be for somebody mm-hmm. going through what it is that you're going through right now, what it is that I passed through. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and thank right. you for, for bringing me back because I did sense myself spiraling. And it's interesting. The reason why I was spiraling back there 
was because of the cognitive dissonance that I was yes, feeling. So of now course. that I'm out of it, of course. Now, now, that, now that I'm out of it and I'm like, okay, so it's interesting for me, uh, you know, I love doing these podcasts, but I'm also aware that these podcasts are a big part of my career. Like they help mm. me to, int- I, I get introduced to new audiences. I get to right. share my ideas with them. I get to build mm. connections with mm-hmm. thought leaders such as yourself. And so there was a part of me that was speaking about my burnout and, uh, I was trying to get deeper and deeper into it. And I was experiencing the pain and all of the negative feelings from it. But then the other part of my brain was like, Hey, shut up. Like this is bad for business. (laughs) I think it's great for business. The message today, I believe that's relevant in the world and and in the workplace in the world is here's what I experienced. Here's what I went through. I know who you are because I've gone through it too. You know, I've had a similar experience, meaning when we're talking to fellow, you know, our fellow human beings and here's how, it ended up for me, right? right. Here's here, here's how I was able to get my brain around it or my mind around it or my, you know, here's how I navigate it. So then okay. other people can be like, huh, okay. So Absolutely. I, it's, it's almost like an instruction manual. I'm sure a lot of it's in your book. I have not read your, your book, but, but yeah. So how did, what was kind of the yeah. three years of depression, then what? Absolutely. And I'm going to tell lizard brain ego to shut up. It's like, <laughs> let, let me do this. All right. We're going to be okay. We're going to be, We're gonna, I'll, okay. I promise I won't, I, I won't drop you. I'm here with you, brother. No, I'm, no, not going, is, I'm not going anywhere. No, I appreciate that, man. And, and this is part of the book, right? So, so yeah. what I had to do was develop self-awareness, which up until that point was missing in my life. Didn't right. journal, didn't talk to therapists proactively. You know, when you're going through that stage of burnout, you start to neglect your friends and your family, you become closed off. And there's a great model called the 12 stages of burnout that I would encourage people to research that shows how you go from the pressure to overwork to working harder, neglecting your needs. And by the end, you're completely isolated, depressed, and you you've depleted all of your energy stores. Right. So what I had to do was get back to square one because I had nothing but time on my hands now. I was sick. I was at home, bedridden, completely bewildered. Um, and I, I was, I was talking to specialists and they were like, just journal, you know, uh, pour, pour your emotions out into this book or onto, onto the page. And I started doing that. And at first I was just, you know, treating it like writing blog posts. Cause I didn't, I didn't really know how to engage with my own thoughts critically at that point. Right. And then, you know, once I broke through that one week barrier of just writing every single day, the, the writing mm. started to become more cathartic. It started to mm. become more about reflecting on my agency or lack thereof in my situation. Mm-hmm. And that writing process was healing for me, first of all, but then it also started to lead me down the path of asking bigger questions. Like, so why did this happen to me of all people? Why mm-hmm. didn't this happen to my colleagues? Why didn't this happen to my boss? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't this happen to people that are in different industries and mm-hmm. That's when I first learned about the term burnout. Because I think up until that point, I was using it very colloquially. It was an Xbox game that I was playing at the time, Burnout, Burnout Paradise. And Uh, I would say, oh, I'm burning out. I would joke about it, but I didn't mm -hmm. actually know what it meant. So going down that path of inquiry was like, whoa, this is is different than run-of-the-mill everyday stress. This is when you you tip over, when when you cross over. And um, I I was shocked by how few resources there were available for the recovery mm. from burnout. And so I started to approach the pro- the problem of burnout in a way that made sense to me uh, through optimizing or reconfiguring my relationship with work. It started with rethinking how I use the canvas of 168 hours available to me each week and ensuring mm. that if there are periods of energy depletion, that there are proportionate periods of energy replenishment. Mm. Uh, a lot of that self-awareness involved me understanding where it was that I lost energy. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand up until that point that, you know, doing a full day worth of meetings as an introvert, somebody so, so socially mm-hmm. awkward and shy mm-hmm. is completely debilitating. And so if you stack a day full of meetings mm-hmm. and then the next day you try to do a presentation, you're going to be completely wiped out. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough to just go to the gym in the morning and meditate at some point and do yoga later in the day. That's just replenishing your physical energy for the most part. But are you giving yourself mental breaks? Right. So again, looking at looking at my time, energy, and attention as three essential ingredients of my productivity stack, if you will, mm-hmm. I started to manipulate them and try to create a system that worked for me. So there was that. Uh, I also had to start purging things in my life that were non-essential. I had to deload priorities. Mm. I had to look at my calendar and understand that there are things that no longer serve my needs that weren't aligned with my heat map, if you will. Where are the elements of my life that I gain energy from? I gain Mm -hmm. energy from friends. I gain energy from family, from playing video games. And I had to Mm -hmm. really just start to think about parts of my life that I had relegated because I didn't think they were part of the narrative or or they may Mm -hmm. be productive necessarily, but I had to start reconnecting with things that were fun Mm -hmm. uh, in a guilt-free way. So I had Mm -hmm. to stop making excuses for going for walks. I had to stop making excuses for listening to podcasts. I had to Mm -hmm. stop making excuses for taking naps in the middle of the workday. So there was that. then I had to assemble boundaries around my myself. I had to I had to essentially train my colleagues and my friends and my family to uh, communicate with me in a way that didn't deplete me of energy. Mm. Uh, so I had to I had to establish boundaries around when I would respond to text messages or mm-hmm. you know if if you're calling me only call me if there's an emergency if you know if somebody's dying God forbid because when I get that phone call I feel pressure to pick it up but I don't I wasn't being honest with myself until up until that point that speaking on the phone in a way that isn't structured actually saps my energy. Mm. And then I had to gain mastery over stress. I had to stop giving into patterns of overwork. I had to stop overachieving and instead accept that being a high performer Mm -hmm. is actually more productive than being an overachiever. An overachiever behaves intensely. They're effective in small bursts, but you can't sustain that over time. Right. And then um, I had to nurture resilience. And this was the hardest thing for me, I would say, because uh, it involved tremendous self-awareness, something that I had neglected. And I said that at the beginning of this answer, doing a lot of journaling, uh, a lot of meditation in a way that isn't just physical, allowing Mm -hmm. my mind to go blank, um, suppressing my ego, uh, doing uh, personality assessments, uh, speaking with therapists, counselors, coaches, Mm -hmm. and really just opening myself up for the discovery and and the analysis necessary to not fall into that trap again of overwork. Because it's so easy to fall into that Mm -hmm. trap. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think it's important for, you know, for leaders and anybody, you know, when I say leader, I really look at everyone as a leader, um, but everybody has to lead their own life. But as a, as, especially when you're leading people or you're in some type of management role or some type of leadership role, whether it's for profit, not for profit in your family, wherever it is. It, yeah. If you, if you don't have that balance or understand your own energy flows, you're just to your point, become less and less effective, which is the opposite of what you want, right? You want you want to be a servant. Le- I mean, most people want to be a servant leader. They want to take care of others. They want to help others. They want to empower others. But if we're not able to re- do our own resets, if we're not able to do our own kind of like you've done, it seems like you've been very methodical in your, this is what literally gives me energy. This is what takes energy. Um, I actually, as part of our community had done a class I recorded. We haven't released it and I don't know if we ever will, but that was one of the first things we used was like this energy tracker. And it was like, here's the things that give me energy and here's the things that take energy. And throughout my week, just looking at my calendar and saying, okay, what am I doing to give me energy? 
especially on days where I know that I'm going to be, I'm going to be expending energy or it's going to be like, I know I have to do this or I have to do that. That's part of what I do for my job or that's, and so if I'm going to do that, then what's wrapped around it. And a lot of times I think, you know, we miss out on doing the things you tapped into, which is having fun, right? When people wow. are having, when people are having fun, you know, life is just lighter. And when, and I know I, I am not good at planning fun, right? I have a couple of friends and sometimes I'm lucky enough that they ping me or remind me. And it's like, oh shit, I'm not having fun. So we go to lunch, we go, you know, sometimes having fun can just be having lunch with one of, you know, these guys that are kind of my more jovial, you know, guy, you know, we can kind of yeah, cut, yeah. Up, cut up and give each other crap. And it's, you know, we're like, right. you know, like teenage boys type, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and, and yeah. not in a, not in a negative way, but just, you know, we can, we can kid and joke and we can talk about sport. Sure. We can talk about whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I'm still, and, and thank you for the reminder. I'm still not doing enough of that planning of fun. Not, not necessarily. It's an, not an organized, I have to go do this and that's going to be fun. That doesn't sound that much fun, but I'm going to yeah. go hang out with people or I'm going to go do these things that I, at least enjoy, even if they're not fun. And I think that's a lot of what I see missing in life from a lot of people is they do overwork, they get overstressed They're, yeah. you know, they've got the kids and the job and the, maybe they're taking care of, you know, elderly parents are worried about taking care of, you know, the sandwich generation is what I'm starting to hear about the mm -hmm. generation X anyway. And the millennials, we, you know, we're start, we have kids, we have parents, there, there's all kinds of stress. And, if we don't take care of ourselves, we do get the heart attacks and the strokes and the high blood yep. pressure and the diabetes. I mean, all the weight gain, all that stuff. And then we're no good to anybody. So it's almost right. as I'm listening Spiral. to you. Yeah. As I'm listening to you, I'm really remembering uh, and it's bringing back to me that if we don't take care of ourselves, that which we truly want, which is to help support people goes away because then we need you know, then we need maybe professional support because we do have to have medical support. And now we have less time to do the things that we thought were important in the beginning. It just, it, it's a downward spiral, right? Totally. And yeah, and it, the, the way it happens for individuals is the way it also happens for organizations, which are just, oh, interesting. Uh, you know, uh, individuals at scale, right? It's, it's a process of active inertia where mm. you try to repeat established patterns of behavior, even in response to dramatic environmental shifts, but stuck in ways of thinking and acting and working that brought success in the past, it proves counterproductive when mm. you're going through burnout. Now, what's interesting though, is I, I love that exercise that you did with, with that team over there, um, that class of, of energy management. Mm. And I, we don't talk about that enough. And there was a part of me, the lizard brain was like, everybody knows about energy management. <laughs> I don't think anybody's doing it. Concept. I don't think anybody's doing it. This is the thing, and I had I had to I had to check myself while you were saying that, and I had to just remind myself that somebody might be listening to this for the first time. Like this might be a novel concept to somebody, right. or to your point, Matt, somebody's not implementing it. So here's just a simple thing that I yeah. do. It's been a complete game changer for me. Maybe two things I can stack them. Mm -hmm. uh, think of your energy as divided into four distinct layers: your physical energy, which everybody understands, your mental energy, your emotional energy, and then add in your spiritual energy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about this in sort of some abstract way, like just, you can think about it if you're, if you identify, you know, if, if you have a religious context, great, you can mm -hmm. think about that. But if you want to think about it in a secular context, what is the transcendent reason why you're doing what you're doing? Like, is it right. doing it for your family? Are you doing it for joy to make the world a better place? Are you philosophically aligned with your organizations and go, whatever the case may be. And then make sure that when you start your day, you visualize that you have four full energy buckets and then you mm. pour from those energy buckets as the day's demands require. 
Mm-hmm. Make sure that throughout the day, ideally, you're replenishing those buckets as the day goes, or at the mm-hmm. very least, by the end of the day, replenish right. all four of those buckets and do so in a very guilt-free way. Do whatever it takes to replenish them. If you have to put something in your calendar, hard code, like mm-hmm. go for a walk, mm-hmm. walk the dog, right. you know, uh, every once a week, just get that massage, even though mm-hmm. it seems expensive up front, but mm-hmm. think of it as an investment. It's not an expenditure. It's an investment over time right. to replenish those energy buckets. And make those things non-negotiable. So my brain, I need I need to hard code them in my calendar. If you look at my mm-hmm. calendar right now, there's things in there where if you saw them, Matt, you, if I did the screen share, you'd be like, what? So you like you you put in gym, you put in like nothing time, you put in think uh-huh. time, mm-hmm. you put in date night with your with your wife. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have to do all of these things mm-hmm. because left to my own devices, I'm a procrastinator. Yep. In my heart, I have a self-destructive tendency to just do nothing. I want to actually just curl <laughs> up on the couch, smoke weed, play video games. <laughs> I swear to God, like that's that's what I want to do. But I realize that that that's a, that's a version of me that you know if if I persist in that way for a long time, I just bounce yep. back. And I feel the drive to come back. Right. But to keep that version of me at bay and to, to make sure that I'm showing up in the way that I hope to show mm-hmm. for you in this podcast and everything mm-hmm. else, I have to not only put those things in my calendar, but I also have to use the color coding. So if there's something mm-hmm. that's a red, that's complete mm-hmm. energy depletion. Oh, and if there's something red in my calendar, I can't have anything else afterwards because I will just be completely spent. Mm-hmm. I won't be as effective or present. And I also build in a proportional amount of recovery. So there's something that's a vibrant green right after this, mm. which is like a do nothing, get a haircut, mm-hmm. you know, maybe go and finish that workout that I kind of like half-assed this morning. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, an opportunity for me to come back to center essentially. And then uh, if you're using Gmail, and I think they have this in some of the Microsoft apps as well, or now you can get some plugins that can help you with this. You can get your week at a glance and you can see just how much red there is, how much orange or oh, yellow or green. And it just gives me a sense of calm at the beginning of the week when I can look at my calendar and be like, yeah, there's going to be like some bursts of red over here. But for the most part, I planned this out in such a way where I will replenish my energy because everybody's good at managing time. Hopefully you use a calendar, you Mm -hmm. use a stopwatch, you have some relationship with time and you know where to be, when to be there and Mm -hmm. how much time you're going to be spending doing things. But uh, what about our energy? Right. That's that's, that's, uh, harder to visualize. So if you can start Mm -hmm. building systems around that, It'll be an absolute game changer for you. You hmm. and when I, not not you necessarily, Matt. No, 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 no. I agree. No, I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Totally. And and again, knowing it and doing it are two different things. And we hear hear about self care, and we hear about taking care of ourselves. And but I think when people think self care, they do think massages or going to the gym or eating right. And those are all important. But to your point, that's one little piece of the overall. You you break that down into four different quadrants. But that's one little piece. But then are we actively scheduling these other the mental energy, right? The spiritual energy. I mean, how am I replenishing those things? And 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 do I have them on the calendar? Because I know that's where I I mess up is when I start not putting things on the calendar. Um, because then I don't get to your point. It just, it becomes, they don't get prioritized. So it's like something right. will slide in. It's like, oh, I got to return these emails or I've got to get these phone calls done. Or then you go back into work mode, overachiever mode. And then, yep, yep. and then at the end of the day, you're shot. And then you go home and you wonder why, you know, you're not getting along with your spouse or you're not getting sure. along with your kids or you're not getting along you know, with yourself you're angry with yourself because you're empty, right? Yeah. And, and it's so interesting that, you know, there's, there's the time, there's energy, and, and that's where most people are focusing their, their efforts in terms of managing. And I'm glad that there's an awareness, a growing awareness that these are some of the reasons why people are experiencing imbalance. And there's a layer on top of that, which is the attention layer. 
mm. that has been very neglected. And uh, to me, we're reaching a crisis if we're not already there in terms of attention deficit, in mm. terms of things competing for our attention. And I especially think about this from the lens of social media, where I've done a lot of my work and research mm -hmm. and teaching. Um, you know, these, these platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok are designed to be as attention depleting as possible. They're, mm. they're designed to be very interrupting. Um, they, they, they tap into our limbic system. They tap into our, uh, you know, amygdala, they, they, the, the little red notification, it always set, you know, communicates subconsciously danger. And then you open up Twitter and you're like, oh shit, like Elon Musk is just doing Elon Musk shit again. <laughs> right. But by the, by the, whenever you get interrupted, on average, Microsoft shows that it takes about a uh, landmark study by Microsoft shows that on average, it takes about 25 minutes to get back to whatever it was that you were doing following wow. the interruption. Wow. And people are being interrupted minimum in the work workday, one to two times every hour. Right. So when you do the math, people mm -hmm. are only really productive for up to maybe four hours a day. Mm -hmm. And then that creates that cycle of like, what did I get done today? And I have so much more to do tomorrow. And then it mm -hmm. just keeps on cascading. So in addition to our time, in addition to our energy, we also have to become very vigilant about how we manage our attention. What are we giving our attention to? And do we have the necessary discipline with our devices? I've started to find myself slipping into a pattern of checking Reddit right before I go to sleep. <laughs> and it's, it's fun because I need to know what people are saying about Ben Simmons. And right. you know, I, need to, I need to make sure that uh, you know, Zion Williamson is doing all right. But then you know, I start on the NBA subreddit. Then I go into the <laughs> subreddit, the hip-hop subreddit, the mixed martial arts subreddit. Right. And then I'm like, oh, shit. Like I was in bed an hour and a half ago. What's going on? Oh, right. yeah, because I've tricked my brain into believing that the sun's out over here. And right. now I can't sleep because my mind mm -hmm. is racing. So I'm, I'm starting to fall out of habit mm -hmm. with attention management. So this, this mm -hmm. conversation with you is actually very therapeutic because I'm learning, again, mm -hmm. that uh, I, have to, I have to regulate the and where, where I spend my energy, lest it, it, it ruptures through my uh, – where, where I spend my attention, lest it rupture through my energy layer and then eventually my time layer. Right. Yeah, totally. Makes sense. And yeah, I mean, for me, yes, I've had to do things like for two years, I didn't ever check or reply to an email. I had an assistant that checked and replied to my email and posted nice. stuff. So I was still responsive, but then she retired. And so it was like, okay, I'm going to go back to doing my own email. But then I decided, and this is just one of the little hacks. I said, okay, I'm not going to put it back on my cell phone because ah. I would, I would read emails at five or six or seven or eight or nine o'clock at night at home. And then I'd be stressed because I'd be worried about whatever the email said and what am I going to do about that? Or, you know, or even if it was a positive email, it's still, Hey, what, you know, so I was constantly, constantly working. And so now it's like, okay, no more email on my phone. So I have to physically, so I, for me, I have to physically come to the office or if I'm at home, I have to open up my laptop and, say, okay. And then it's more of a, it takes time to open, you know, to open it up. To, sure, so there's yeah. a little bit of time. And then when I'm done, I close it. And I find that it, that does help me at home with being less stressed because I'm not constantly getting interrupted. Right. When I'm now, I still play games on my phone, stuff like that. Yes, I do. Do I check social media? Yes, I do. So yeah. it's, it's not that, but for me, that was a big stressor was this whole email thing because it, you know, it's a constant flow of information totally. all the time. And so I thought, you know, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to be responsible. I'm just going to stop letting it drive my emotions or my, my reaction. And now yeah. it's like, okay. And, and I'm so happy I did because there's some day. And for me, I'm, if I read email first thing in the morning, I'm more fresh. My mind's a little bit more open. I'm not so, I haven't been, you know, through the day, if my energy right. levels are higher, right. so I right. can deal right. with, 
I, I can deal with some stressors and then I can take care of the stuff right then. I'm not carrying it necessarily to the next day. So that was just one of the things I've done, but I know people go on social media, you know, things where they get off social media and you always hear them saying, Hey, this is the best thing I've ever done. But then over time they slip back. So I think to your point, it's kind of that conscious awareness of, you know, even though it was fun or engaging for a while, what do I got to do to get back in the best me as the best me I can possibly be? Very, 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 very important points there, Matt. And I love that, uh, that, that, uh, the practice of, of deleting your email client from your phone so that you have to go through the ritual of doing it in the office. And I think what that, and I'm actually, I'm actually keen to, to replicate that experiment with myself, um, because I'm starting to develop, or I, I'm starting to develop at least awareness that I have an adversarial relationship with my phone. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's a thing that's always attached to me. It feels like yep. a limb at this point, And it just yeah. feels like an appendage. that's not really doing much other than causing me uh, distress. Right. Um, I get, I get anxious whenever I see uh, a notification. I have notifications off on everything except right. for when I get phone calls. So whenever I get right. phone calls, whenever I open up my phone, I've, I've been conditioned to see that notification bar of a phone call and be like, oh shit, like I missed something over here. And it's usually <laughs> right. like a spam telemarketer, like, <laughs> right? Of course. You know, my accountant being like, Hey, like you know, send me this thing. And I'm like, right. you know, Brian, man, you, let's use email like normal people here. You don't have to call me. You don't have to call <laughs> right, me for that. You need something from me. Right. Shout out to Brian though. Um, <laughs> No, but that's really cool. And and I like that. And I think that people need to find what works for them. Uh, and again, come back to that, that stacking of, of, you know, energy, oh, sorry, time, everybody mm -hmm. has the same, more or less the same 160 hours available to them, how you use that time to then generate the next layer of productivity, which is energy or capacity, I should say. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, think of it as a pyramid at the top of the pyramid, you have attention. And once you have time, energy, and attention stacked, that fine point at the top, that's focus. That's your ability to get things done. But mm -hmm. when your attention is ruptured, it affects everything. It disrupts the entire pyramid. So that's a really cool way to think about that because mm -hmm. I think my current productivity struggles have a lot to do with uh, an overflow in my inboxes. And mm -hmm. I don't, you know, it's interesting now that I'm saying this out loud, I don't necessarily think of my inbox as just my email inbox. I'm starting to think about my LinkedIn inbox and my oh, Instagram inbox right. at the same level as my gotcha. email inbox, because a lot of the work opportunities I get come right. through social media, except you can't just go check your Instagram inbox. You also have to see the timeline. The videos, <laughs> and right? They get you right. So cool. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to think about imposing some hard disciplinary measures with the apps on my phone. There's no reason why I need to have an email client on my phone. There's no rules for this. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I found, so I do leave on my, the calendar invite request still comes through because then my calendar's live. So literally okay. I was able to delete my email without messing with my calendar. So I can still see, so I can be responsive if somebody's like, you know, they want to meet or, you know, we do a podcast or whatever, still pings up and I can accept it and go on, but I'm just not engaging in, in the, in the rest of that process. So, so I think this is the basis for your next book. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. I think I should get some type of royalties. So, I think I'm no, inspiring no, I, your next book. Um, let's, uh, I, let's collaborate on it, Matt. I think, I, I think I love it's cool, that. right? It's a rock, I, paper, scissors. And I've seen this now over like the span of a, a decade. Like I started this inquiry with leadership, with burnout. Uh -huh. And then burnout naturally led to the question of leadership. And now the kick that I'm on right now is more empathetic, human-centered leadership. And right. some listeners might think, okay, if you take this sort of quote-unquote soft approach to leadership, it mm -hmm. might eventually result in a workforce that isn't as productive. So I think mm -hmm. it's like a rock, paper, scissors. Eventually, if, we, if, if, if every leader becomes a more human-centric leader, you'll have a very self-actualized, right. happy workforce, but they might not necessarily have the competitive fire 
that mm. would lead to burnout in the first place. So I think you're right, man. Maybe the next book, maybe the next project <laughs> is coming back to a post-digital disruption, a post-COVID style of productivity. Yeah, I, like I, I I love it. And I do want to touch on this great segue into your, your newest book, Leadership Reinvented, How to Foster Empathy, Servitude, Diversity, and Innovation in the Workplace. And so can you give us some nuggets or kind of what that, you know, what you're really referring to on how to, f- and why it's important, empathy, servitude, diversity, and innovation. Why are those things important in the workplace? Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the, the anecdote that mm-hmm. inspired the book. Yes, please. And then I'll, I'll go into the, the impact of the book, not just on the work that I'm doing, but on me personally as well. So mm-hmm. like you and like the listeners, the first three months, the fear months of the pandemic mm-hmm. were rough, March, April, May, 2020. Mm-hmm. I was in a state of disbelief. I was like, whoa, like this is really happening. A paradigm shifting event that's mm-hmm. changing everything. I mean, it's changing our relationship with each other, with the world of work, with ourselves. And it was fascinating to me because at the time I was approaching the edges of my research on burnout. I was like, okay, so self-care is futile in the face of some factor over here. Like that, no matter how self, no matter how much you practice self-care. And I was looking specifically at the growth in markets related to self-care. I was looking at the growth in the pharmaceutical market, the wellness market, the mm-hmm. self-help market. And I'm like, okay, over the last 10 years, from 2010 to 2020, there's been meteoric growth mm. uh, in all of these markets. So like there's, mm-hmm. there's you can you can look at the, the the market and you can see markets in aggregate and you can see exponential growth. So you can you can deduce from that that we're in a golden age of awareness mm-hmm. of wellness, well-being, burnout solutions, and that the market has responded in some pretty substantial ways. Mm-hmm. There's an app for everything, there's a book, mm-hmm. there's a podcast to address every every facet of the self-care prescription, if you will. Mm-hmm. But in the face of that, the, the next logical conclusion is, has that has the golden age produced the intended results? Are levels of burnout declining? Mm-hmm. And the answer is a resounding no. It's only no. getting worse. Right. So that was where my head was at. And I'm like, okay, so what's going on here? Like, it, it, There's interest, there's solutions, but people are still burning out. And then bam, COVID happens. Mm-hmm. And so my thinking is interrupted. But I'm mm-hmm. now clearly seeing how leaders are responding to mm-hmm. COVID. Right. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay. The thing that I went through physically, this amygdala hijack mm-hmm. where the primal mm-hmm. part of my brain took over and gave me the three options, fight, flight, or freeze. That mm-hmm. happened to me very early when, when my dad suffered a health scare. He suffered uh, a seizure. And l- mm-hmm. luckily, I was at home to catch that happening. But man, when I tell you I had an out-of-body experience, I saw my entire relationship, my life with my dad flash mm-hmm. before my eyes mm-hmm. when I faced the possibility of him dying. Then I realized, oh shit, this is happening to leaders around the world. Like I'm seeing this now in Justin Trudeau, Jacinda Ardern, Donald Trump at the time. It's happening at the level of corporations. So people aren't actually stepping up in these mm-hmm. moments of crises. They're actually thinking back to a level of training, preparation, and their values. Mm-hmm. And any leader who is behaving in a socially aversive way, I'm like, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And during times of stress, you actually become a bad person like you become somebody that creates (laughs) that creates distress disutility Mm -hmm. for others you actively provoke it you neglect it or you accept it Mm -hmm. and the ones who seemingly stepped up were the ones who had a human-centric base like they were Mm -hmm. always putting the needs of others before themselves so that gave me the keyhole into a bigger inquiry into sort of what is this human-centric leadership thing what does servant leadership actually look like what does innovation for 
the sake of promoting life look like? What does diversity for the, the sake of unlocking the diversity of backgrounds, experiences, and perspectives look like? And this thing that we're calling a soft skill, empathy, is it really a soft skill? Because it seems to me that any leader who practices empathy and its related values, vulnerability, openness, honesty, and transparency, mm -hmm. at the time it was like, hmm, are these good for the bottom line? And sure enough, here we are now a couple of years later, and I'm like, wow, like this is, there's clearly a, a pattern over here. There's an architecture of good leadership mm. that engages people, that, that is good for the bottom line because it's good for people. Mm. And so I think mm -hmm. we've had this equation backwards. We often mm -hmm. thought that there were the needs of the people came at the expense of the needs of the mission, and the needs of the mission came at the expense of the needs of the people. Mm -hmm. But COVID totally exposed that as uh, you, can't, you, can't, you can't get the best from your business or you can't get the best organizationally unless you prioritize people. Mm -hmm. So that to me was an opportunity to really just go all in and, and bridge those two worlds together. So like, can we solve the burnout problem if people, if leaders behave in more human centric ways? Mm -hmm. And what I realized is that it seems to be the closest thing to panacea. Like if you behave as a human centric leader, it's not only good for people, it helps the burnout issue, it helps the retention issue, it helps the productivity issue, it helps the engagement issue. Mm -hmm. The only thing it doesn't help in the short term, and it seems counterintuitive, is it doesn't help the leader. So the leader giving away power, <laughs> the leader right. empowering people around them, it seems counterintuitive in the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you take a wider time scale, this is how great civilizations, great companies were built. Mm -hmm. Um, and everybody is capable of doing this. So what I hope to do now with this current era that I'm in, Matt, is tell as many leaders as possible that it is okay, not just okay, it is uh, the right thing to do at all levels to create more leaders. Mm -hmm. To empower people, right? And, and I've, noticed, people. You know, I've noticed that even in some of the organizations I've been involved in, when I'm too driven or too much in the work, it doesn't allow others to step up into their gifts and into their talents. I mean, there, there are people, there, there's always people on the team that have more talents than they're using. And the only way for them to use those talents is for there to be a gap or a space for them to exercise those talents. In. And if there's no space, then there's no need for them to express that talent. So yeah, I've, I, I've, you know, I resigned from a board of a company I founded oh, almost, well, probably six, eight months ago. And, and the funny thing, the funny thing is, uh, or the chair of the board, I'm still on the board, but I'm no longer the chair of the board. But the, the thing was when I stepped down from being the chairman of the board, it empowered everybody else on the board to go, oh, here's this gap. Here's this, oh, Matt, I mean, because I'd been kind of running things for a long, long time, even from a chair level. And once, once I said, well, I'll still serve on the board because I want to support this team, but I'm not going to lead this team anymore. All of a sudden people were like, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. I'll, and, I, and by the end of the meeting, I felt so empowered because I felt one, I felt free. I felt right. less, less stress, but all of a sudden I realized, Hey, there's these people in the room that actually want to do this stuff that are right. better at it than I am because they're in their niches, right? They're better at it. And so it is going to be better for the company where I had been probably overextending my stay by a couple of years, just because I felt so much responsibility. Like if I don't do it, who will? And, you know, it's, I created this thing. I need to save this thing post COVID. Right. And so I've yeah. got to, you know, and then I was creating so much pressure on myself, but once I actually became a leader, instead of thinking of how am I disempowering the team and actually became a leader and said, how am I going to empower this team? And the best way I can empower is just take a step back. And I've read- wow. I've read so many stories. Well, I'm, I'm currently reading, um, oh, Benjamin Hardy's book um, with Dan Sullivan, Who Not How. 
who not how okay who, who not how and 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 it really speaks to this as well of you know who in my life can do this better than i can and then finding a way to engage with them right because right. ultimately if i want to be really productive and really uh, help other people support other people then i need to uh, i the best use of my time is finding their talents and then finding a way to engage in those talents and and a space for them to engage more and more in that talent right and so Love it. And so they really talk about in that book, how instead of thinking about how do I do this, you know, like if I have a project, I'm an entrepreneur. So I'm always thinking of projects instead of me thinking, how do I do this? It's like, who can do this, right? Who can do this instead of me doing it? Wow. Because, because I, I still have to hold my space, which is visionary or the, you know, the imagination, imagination space or the collaborative space, whatever, you know, whatever space I'm holding. But and they were giving example even in the book, right? So Benjamin Hardy, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, psychologist, goes to, you know, Dan Sullivan says, "I love what you're talking about." And Dan's like, "Great, you can write the book," right? And so instead, so Benjamin Hardy's writing about Dan Sullivan's work, right? Right, right, right. Even in that, there was collaboration, and it's like, so Dan was like, "Well, why am I going to take time out of my day? That's I'm not an author. This isn't what I do." And so, you know, he's he's the founder of uh, Strategic Coach, and so anyway. That was just uh, as I was listening to you talk. I was like, "Yeah, that's that's right." It's uh, as leaders, we have to uh, we have to create space for others to be empowered and let them make those. Uh, you know, obviously, let them when they make mistakes. That's that and be yeah, accepting yeah. accepting of that and and not just micro. You know, if you continue to micromanage, you're you're just diluting yourself and diluting others that you're trying to dilute others that you're actually empowering them. Right? There's a difference between empowering oh, and delegating. So. Anyway, sorry. There's, now there is so, now, no, I'm, going, this is now I'm up no, on my soapbox. <laughs> no, no, this is this is so good. And you, you, Matt, you truly. I mean, this is this is such a serendipitous conversation in ways that I could easily fill another full hour with us, just telling you like how much I needed this conversation with you. So thank you. Yeah. But um, I was just having a conversation with with a couple of buddies uh, last weekend, and I was like, I need to. I think I have one more company in me as an entrepreneur. Yeah, like I yeah, need to start yeah. another organization. And yeah. I need to lead people again because the work that I do now yeah. is very much. I think of it as like a special ops, you know, I drop mm-hmm. into a company for a short little while. I do what mm-hmm. I got to do. And then I pull out Yep. and it's just me. Yep. I'm just, it's just me and a couple of contractors that I bring on from time to time, but I don't really get to flex the learning of the ideas that I share. Yep. So I have a little bit of the cognitive dissonance, like, Hey, you're, you're prescribing all of these solutions to clients and it's working for them, but can you replicate it within your own world? And so right. I'm like, hung, I'm hungry for another, like, tangible leadership practice because i think that the the playbook that i've been building gradually through, uh, over the last decade and certainly has been accelerated through the pandemic and leadership reinvented this work that i'm doing I'm, I'm eager to test it out because i think i will have the breakthrough that you just described with your mm-hmm. board where mm-hmm. you let go and that's the style of leader that i would like to be uh, this type of mm-hmm. leader i would like to be i would just like to be part of the beginning of it be involved very passionately and hands-on with mission, vision, values, mm-hmm. principle, purpose, mm-hmm. training, culture, mm-hmm. and then let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm excited by that possibility because I think, I don't think, I, I, I say this out loud, I'm, I believe it's going to work. And you see glimpses of this all the time. We mm-hmm. saw it most recently with Yvonne Schoenard in Patagonia, 100% of his company relinquished mm-hmm. to fight climate change. You see this mm-hmm. with Mark Benioff standing in front of his peers in 2019 saying, we need to reinvent a system that goes beyond shareholder capitalism. We need stakeholder capitalism, focus right. on employees, customers, communities, and the planet. Anytime a leader is now heralded for doing exceptional work, it usually has to do not with 
their accumulation of wealth, but it has to do with the welfare of their employees, again, mm. customers, communities, and the planet. Mm. So I think there's a there's a paradigm shift happening over here. And I'm really excited by this possibility because when I started writing Leadership Reinvented, it didn't initially start as a playbook for human-centric leader. It started as an inquiry into leadership failure. I'm obsessed mm. with this question of like, why do leaders, leaders fail? Like, right. who are the bad guys? I really want to understand like, who, right. who are-, who are who Learn are from our mistakes, leaders? right? Learn That's from it. others' who, mistakes, who, right? Yeah, like, let's find the equivalent of the fictional leaders that we are fascinated by in the world of cinema, for instance. Like, let's find the equivalent of Miranda from Devil Wear, Devil's Wear Prada, the Devil Wears Prada. Let's find mm -hmm. the equivalent of Gordon Gecko. Mm -hmm. And they exist out there. And you know, their reckoning has come. We saw this most recently with uh, Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX, that whole class. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Elizabeth Holmes went to jail 13 yep. years. She's gone, right? Like, oh, did they, they, did they sentence her? I didn't read that. Did they? Sentence, she's gone. She's, she's gone. Is yeah, that yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, wow, man. I did it, not read the fact. I knew that she, they, she was convicted. I just had, didn't hear the sentencing. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's wild. I think it's 11 or 13 years, like unprecedented stuff wow. that's happening now. So we're seeing uh, the pendulum swing back because there was this, this fervor in the early 2010s, at least, mm -hmm. of these like, uh, you know, move fast, break things, fail fast, fail early, mm -hmm. sort of like a reckless behavior in the innovation or exploitation stage of, of that the, the new economy that we're in. All of this is to say, I try very hard to look for these things, but then also try to break them at the same time. I'm obsessed with like finding a theory of everything. Like what is the closest thing to a theory of everything when it mm -hmm. comes to leadership, when it comes to burnout? And there is one, lo and behold, when it comes to leadership, and it's called the D factor of personality traits. All of the worst fact, all of the worst manifestations of leaders, like the narcissists, the Machiavellians, the psychopaths, mm -hmm. the sadists, they're all bound together by the same dynamic, which is maximize the de facto personality, which is maximizing individual utility while accepting, neglecting, or malevolent malevolently provoking disutility for others. Hmm. Boom. Okay, so check this out. Mm -hmm. Just in the last three days, I watched three different movies. I watched Disenchanted. Mm -hmm. I watched Tar, and uh, I watched Too Big to Fail. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. all, I swear to God, all three of those movies had the exact same plot. First of all, there's <laughs> the hero's journey. But when right. you look at the old way of being and the new way of being and the lesson that has to be learned with every protagonist, harmony is restored when the protagonist accepts that their purpose has to do with other people. It has to do with improving mm -hmm. the lives of people around them. Right. That is the spoiler alert for literally everything. It's <laughs> a spoiler alert for every game you're going to play, every book you're going to right. read. Any time there's chaos being fostered, it has to do with the villain, the nemesis, the antagonist, whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. prioritizing their utility. And mm -hmm. then again, accepting, neglecting, or actively malevolently provoking disutility for others. Hmm. So what is the action to take from this? Um, as a leader, we can call it different things. We can call it human-centric leadership, compassionate leadership, empathetic leadership, but I truly believe it's just leading with love and extending mm. the same unconditional positive regard that we know we're capable of delivering to friends, to family members, mm -hmm. to ourselves. How do we extend that in the workplace? And mm -hmm. I think that if we do that at scale, we have a real shot at utopia. I love it. I love it. You're an idealistic. I love it. You're, you, 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 I got the dream out of you. I got it. <laughs> there you go. Man. I love but as it. a researcher, I'm always like checking it. I'm like, I don't know. I want, I want to, I want to read a little bit more about this. Let's, let's, let's stress test this. Are these theories valid? But here's the thing, man, the, 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 the ethos, the philosophies, the, the path that we've been on, at least in recent human history has been one that's been driven by the opposite of love. It's been driven by fear. It's been driven by scarcity. Right. Uh, it's been driven by uh, 
the immortality projects of people who are, again, are, are beholden to the de factor. So I think, I think, I think the time is coming. I believe that by no later than the end of 2023, will we see the beginnings at least, hopefully of a full court press in the opposite direction. Um, and that's going to be a rethinking of the future of work and an acceptance that the future of work, hopefully, maybe full circle where we started this conversation, has nothing to do with work and has everything to do with life itself. Oh, I love it. Love it, love it. Well, that was very eloquent. You, you were very eloquent there at the end. You were like, I mean, it was not that you weren't eloquent the rest of the time. It was just like a nice way of just wrapping it all up that, you know, we need to love others, you know, man. and... And let's create a better world, right? I mean, when we boil it all down, I hope so, man. let's love ourselves, <laughs> let's love others, and let's make a better world because we all want, uh, I shouldn't say we all, but the majority want to find peace, love, and joy, right? That's that's kind of, I mean, when we're in peace, love, and joy, that's when we feel the most human. That's also when we feel the most divine. That's when we feel the most loving, caring. I mean, all the Amen. All, all the good stuff, we just got to break our addiction to all the bad stuff, right? Um, I love all it. The, all the feelings of bad that we sometimes default and, to right yeah and 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 you, and you use the, the term idealist right and like mm -hmm. there's a part of me that that loves that i accept that i'm like yes yeah, so you know we need we need some some vision we need some yeah. creativity we need some idealism over here but there's also part of me again the lizard brain that's like man idealism how, how are you going to translate that into action and in mm -hmm. one of the episodes that i listened to again the, the one that i love that you did recently mm -hmm. with lana curry hala curry sorry hala curry yeah she gave an example of humanizing people that she fell out with during mm. the pandemic, the anti-vaxxers. Mm. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I yes. thought that was so cool. I was like, wow, okay. Like there was a very logical progression that led her to that action. Mm -hmm. It was these people that were important in her life pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. friends, family members, colleagues, but because of ideological differences and, and schisms, they drifted apart. Mm -hmm. But she wants to reconnect with them. She wants to come yes, closer. Totally. And again, this is one of the other dynamics that you'll see now that you have the spoiler alert mm -hmm. that harmony happens when people come together, when the protagonist and the antagonist actually meet and they talk to each other and they develop right. the alignment that you had at that conference yes. with the person on the opposite end of the political spectrum. The guy from Iran. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So again, the, the action to take over here is it doesn't have to be sweeping legislature. It doesn't have to be mm -hmm. a complete... Uh, rewriting of, of the organizational playbook. It's as simple as moving out of patterns of exploitation, moving out of cycles of fear into cycles of togetherness, interbeing, love, and connection, and just rehumanize. Mm -hmm. Constantly rehumanize. I love it. I love it. Hamza Khan, it was a wonderful conversation. I am so glad I had. I needed it. Thank you. I needed it this morning. I needed just, it too, man. Just, just, to, just, just to start the day. Um, people find you on your website, hamzakhan.com, uh, sorry, uh, which yeah. is H-A-M-Z-A-K-H-A-N, like the great Genghis Khan. I actually had another great gentleman Genghis on the Khan. podcast that was a relative of Genghis Khan. And I was like, oh, he said, well, a lot of people last in Khan. He was very prolific yeah, uh, yeah. dad. Same here, man. <laughs> he, had a lot, he had a lot of kids. Somewhere in my family tree is uh, somebody I love experienced it. quite a bit of distress, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I really appreciate our conversation. Certainly as you, you as, as you work on your next stuff, we'd love to hear more about it. Come on, visit with our community. And we have two minutes. Stick around. I'm going to push some buttons. We'll end this podcast. But I so thank you for coming on today. Matt, thank you. The pleasure was all mine. I know I was a, an incoherent mess at times, but uh, it was all part of the unraveling. So thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for, for working with me. And uh, I hope that by the end, the listeners were able to get at least one thing that they can implement in their lives. Thank you. This is a true honor and privilege, sir. 
Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, V-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.